There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here with the 2022 Winter Transfer Window Review. That means, of course, that I'm joined by the wonderful Dave Hendrick, who you can find now on Twitter at EPL Index. So if you're seeing any fire takes, that's uh, that's who's putting those out. Uh, Dave, an absolute pleasure to have you back on. I just wanted to start by talking about the window at large. There was a lot of movement in January. Some was expected because of Newcastle and their newfound wealth. Mm-hmm. But also there were a lot of loans with obligations to buy. And I was just wondering if you thought that that like, portends anything for the summer, where now that you've had all these fans back in stands for long enough, maybe the club finances are about to get better? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think a lot of clubs are sort of looking ahead to the summer as, as when their finances will bounce back. We've seen some down years in the transfer market now, the last two. And I think in some cases, it's just been that clubs have been saving their money for maybe one big splurge. In other cases, clubs just couldn't afford to go and buy. But I think this coming summer, we're going to see quite a lot of movement. And I also think you're seeing a lot of teams not being willing to gamble because because some teams have taken such a big hit over the last two years and maybe they're in a bit of a precarious position. For example, at Burnley, their financial resources are not now what they were two years ago, in part because of COVID, in part because of the new ownership situation and how they've leveraged debt onto the club. So I think they need to operate a bit more carefully They've always been a careful club, but even in this window, you know, they end up with a net profit despite being in a position where you think you really need to go and spend to stay in the division. And they're looking at it probably thinking, yeah, we probably should, but at the same time, what if it's not enough? What if the fact that there's this new super rich club competing against us at the foot of the table means that they're going to finish above us? And we go down. We don't want to go down having just mortgaged our entire future, because if that's the case, we're going to have to sell off basically everybody, try and balance our books. And that will leave us stuck in the championship for the longer term. So I do think there's an air of clubs being careful as well and maybe not wanting to overcommit on things just in case something goes wrong. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. We'll jump into the first club here that also didn't do very much, which was Arsenal. Um, they loaned out so many players and had so many suspensions and injuries and players at AFCON that they couldn't even play football matches, only to then immediately be kicked out of the Carabao Cup by Liverpool. So thank you, Dave. Um, <laughs> they've lost another captain, although that might be their biggest positive <laughs> of this window by paying Aubameyang $7 million for him to walk away. Uh, but that whole situation is just crazy. They gave Otsul a mega deal when he was turning 31. 
that they couldn't shift for years, and they finally proved they learned their lesson by doing the exact same thing at Aubameyang. We all knew it was going to end in tears. He's now gone, uh, despite being their third highest scorer in the league this season. Uh, so that's not particularly ideal. All the fans got themselves into a tizzy about a license plate that said Isak on it. Were Arsenal going to sign Alexander Isak on deadline day? Uh, no, as it turns out, super no. Um, the the amount of savings that they're going to make on wages from Aubameyang is obviously huge because that was a massive contract. But outside of that, this is a pretty, pretty rough window for a club that, you know, based on where they currently are in the table, might have had aspirations of trying to climb up into that top four or, or at least the meaningful top four race. Uh, but after this window, I feel like it's just maybe a European spot, but that's about all they can achieve. I don't know. What did you make of that whole Oba situation and everything else? Well, the Aubameyang thing is interesting because, like you say, he is their fourth top scorer this year. He's also a player who has shown in the past he can score goals in the Premier League and he can score a lot of goals in the league. And what they're lacking is somebody to score a lot of goals. They've got really good creative midfielders and wide players, the likes of Saka, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, Martinelli. I think everybody mm-hmm. looks at those and thinks, that's your future. Those are the ones to build around. But how willing are those players going to be to stay there long term if you don't get Champions League? And I didn't think they were going to get Champions League anyway. I've said all season, I think they're very fugazi. I think they've only really beaten the bottom six and teams that were in bad situations. So you guys under Poch, or you guys under Nuno rather, Villa under Dean Smith, two teams that changed manager quite shortly after those games. Leicester, who were missing quite a few players in a bad run of form. And West Ham, who were missing three quarters of their starting defence. So... I don't really see it with Arsenal this year. I see a lot of promise for the future, but I look at a distinct lack of leadership. There are four captains, Kev, going into this season. Aubameyang, he's now gone. Lacazette, he has five months left on his contract and isn't going to re-sign. Mm-hmm. Rob Holding, who is a backup centre-back. And Granit Xhaka, a player they tried desperately to sell last season, who... Nobody wanted until Roma decided we'll take him on the cheap. And then Arsenal thought, well, no, we'll try and rinse a few more quid. And Roma were like, well, no, you keep him. So they kept him and gave him a new contract. After all the shenanigans we've seen with Xhaka for the last five years or so, there's no leadership in this team. So for me, the two things they were looking for, a goal scorer and leadership in midfield, specifically in midfield, and someone that could really take control of games. And they wasted a whole bunch of time trying to get Vlahovic, who clearly had no interest in going there. They tried to get Arthur Mello, and that deal fell apart. I don't know why they, like Spurs, should have gone for Bruno Gomeric, who would have been perfect. And they let Newcastle have a free run at him, all while wasting their time looking into a deal for Vlahovic, who didn't want it. And then Isak. And when the Isak news came out originally that Arsenal had interest, that he was a backup target, Everybody knew he had a, back, a buyout clause, 75 million euro. If your backup plan is more expensive than your plan A, it's not <laughs> a good backup plan. And why were Real Sociedad ever going to consider selling him in January for less than his buyout? So Arsenal have basically just wasted a month. They've loaned out Maitland-Niles. They've released Chambers and Kalasnik on free transfers. Uh, they've loaned out Pablo Mari. Like, and then they're crying about not being able to fulfill games. They also loaned out Balogun as well, and and yet they couldn't fulfill a game against Spurs, which to me says they were just scared to play Spurs at the time without a full-strength squad. 
And um, yeah, I think all in all, it's a it's a it's a really poor window for Arsenal, and they're doing some damage control. We're seeing local Arsenal journalists come out and defend the decisions and say, well, they didn't want to rush anything. Well, hang on a second now. You were willing to go to 60 million for Vlahovic, but now you're claiming you weren't willing to rush anything? There's there's no yeah. correlation there. So for me, it's it's a D minus. It's a D minus window. Um, the only thing I'll get, I, it's, the only reason it's not an F is that they didn't go and spend badly because that would have been a very Arsenal thing to do is to miss on Vlahovic and go and throw obscene money at a player who wasn't very good. And that would have made it an F. But with, with basically doing nothing other than weakening your squad substantially, uh, it has to be a D- minus for me. Yeah, I think D- minus seems about right. Also because of, you know, they did get out of under Aubameyang's contract, which even if it costs you top four this year, as you said, maybe that wasn't the goal. And, and in the intro, you were talking about how some clubs have to be conservative. So if you... Th- think that you're going to get top four spending that amount of money right now is worth it because you can recoup it in the champions league money but if you already are worried that you're missing out as you say maybe a better thing to just hold on to the money and wait to make a more meaningful push in the summer when uh in theory the funds will be flowing more freely as will the players uh all right uh Aston villa probably the club that's getting the most plaudits for their window what did you make of it i really like the villa window i think they addressed one big position of need. I think they were desperately in need of, a, of an upgrade at left back. And while Luca Dina wouldn't have been the target I'd have gone for, just with his age, I didn't feel he fit in with what they were building. He's a little bit older. It's still a very good signing. He's a very good left back. I like the Coutinho signing on a loan. There's, there's no risk there. And if he clicks, if he's even 75% of what he was when he was at Liverpool, he'll be their best player. Uh, Callum Chambers, I mean, in on a free, you can't really argue with it. It's a clever signing. It gives them a fourth centre-back and cover it right back. He's never going to be a starter for them, so it just made sense. And Robin Olsen, look, I, I know he's had some some rough times in recent years, but he is a solid keeper. And as a backup to Emmy Martinez, it's not bad. So, you know, that along with the wage savings from Matt Target and El Ghazi and Wesley that they'll make, from having those three players out on loan and maybe those players go and do well and, and earn moves away and Villa can bring in some money that way as well. I think all in all, it's a good window. I would have liked to have seen them maybe look to upgrade the starting centre-back position <laughs> next to Ezri Konza, because as you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Mings. Um, they did sniff around at a couple and they obviously looked at Basuma for the midfield position where they're looking to upgrade as well. But again, I think clever not to just jump in because in the past we've seen Villa overspend on average enough players this year. I think they've taken a more measured approach, not being willing to pay 50 million for Basuma in the summer when a, he has a legal case pending against him and B he is about to enter the last year of his contract come the summer. You'll get him cheaper in the summer, I think. So I think they did well with what they did and what they didn't do. So for me, it's a B for Villa. Yeah, and allegedly they were the club that was first in on Bentoncourt, and their interest is why we knew he was available. Uh, and that would have been a pretty big signing for them um, in, in a window where they got in a lot of really good uh, players. And as you say, a couple first-teamers, which is always a, 
a good barometer for how well you did in a window is Coutinho and Digne walk into your starting 11. So that's a pretty good deal. Bentoncourt probably would have as well, uh, but they ended up not being willing to meet the $25 million that we ended up not paying. But more to come in part two on that when we get to the Tottenham section. Uh, yeah, I've given them an A-. minus. Uh, I think it's, it's really good business, like I say, to add... Uh, starting caliber players like that and Coutinho had an instant impact when he mm. uh, first made his debut so that that question mark you always have when you bring in somebody from a different league or in January even though obviously Coutinho has Premier League experience you always have that question of like are they going to hit the ground running what's going to happen you're like oh a goal and assist immediately got it <laughs> especially when he's when he's had such a rough time over yeah. the last four years since leaving Liverpool his form hasn't been there he's had a lot of injuries I mean he signed for Barcelona for 145 million quid and the most notable thing he did in the last four years was score two goals against Barcelona in the Champions League while on loan at Bayern Munich. So that kind of tells you how the Barcelona transfer went from. Totally. The only upside really is that he won loads of trophies and uh, <laughs> Liverpool probably looking at that deal, realizing that that money is what launched this you know, golden period and thinking, wow, that was super worth it. Maybe a different club that one of these two hosts represents would have been interested in selling players when they were at max value to fund a, a yeah. rebuild but uh no let's just hang on to him and let him go for free lots of that in part two <laughs> lots of it lots of it as it turns out uh, all right i'll move on to brentford now um i'll be honest i think i mentioned it in the first show i was pretty sure they were relegation fodder to begin with and then they lost Daniel Raya, and I was like, oh, now they're super going down. But they've, they've actually stabilized pretty decently. There, there's a weird amount of Premier League matches played by different clubs at this point. But they don't even really feel like they're in the relegation race. And now they're getting Raya back. Uh, they're averaging one point per game, which, you know, if it continues, would be 38 points for those doing their math at home. Uh, but that's been safe the last seven consecutive seasons. The team's been solid. The main issue is that they were lacking a consistent creator. They were bottom five in both assists and chances created. And they've only gone and brought in Christian Eriksen, one of the last remaining, like, true high-level number 10s in the game. Obviously, health, match readiness, these are pretty big question marks. Um, but for a club that is already on track for safety, even, like, a limited Eriksen, like what, like, five goals, three assists, or vice versa, is probably more than enough to make you safe and at least make the journey safer and more comfortable as you try to drive for safety. Um, Lossell, I think, was a really good signing um, to back up Daniel Raya because uh, Brentford had four clean sheets this year. <laughs> Three were in the few matches that Raya played. They've only had one since. So just addressing that in case, um, I, I think, is good. Raya, obviously, in training, and I think he did a U23 match, if memory serves. Mm, I think so. Um, <clears throat> as for, like, <laughs> other signings, I don't really know who Deji Sotona is. Or why it's alone. I doubt he's ready for the first team, but I could be wrong. If there's a buy clause in there, at least it makes more sense. Um, but all in all, they're a decent club, having a decent season. This is a decent window. I gave him a B. Yeah, I mean, I think they're one of the smarter run clubs in English football, for sure. And I think they've done what, you know, what I said earlier. They haven't taken that big gamble just in case they go through a terrible last 15 games. And it is possible that they could just have an absolute collapse. We've seen it happen before with clubs where you think they're going to be okay and then the wheels completely come off. I think they're too well managed. I think they've got enough attacking talent in terms of Ivan Tony, Brian and Buomo and, and Johan Wiese, who we should see more of in the second half of the season. He obviously had some injuries in that. 
in the first half. So with those three, and now Ericsson, there's there's enough going forward, I think, to get them the goals they'll need. I love the signing of Ericsson. I just love that he's back, potentially playing football again. And I, I really look forward to watching him step foot on the pitch again. Because obviously the last time we saw him on a pitch is one of the most horrendous things any of us have ever seen in a football match. Um, Lossell is, he'll be a fine backup goalkeeper. If he rediscovers his Huddersfield form, he can be a plus player for them without question. I did feel like they maybe needed to do a little bit more in terms of a right wing back because mm. as good as, like, Sergi Canos is a decent player. He's not a wing back and he has been a bit of a liability for them. He's also the only cover they really have at left wing back, especially now that Dominic Thompson's been loaned out. Enrico Henry has had some injuries. So I, I'd like to have seen them do something there. They did try and get Vanderson. He ended up going to Monaco. Um, I thought maybe one at centre back would have helped, just with the way they've had some injuries and they've had they've got some older players there. And Pinnock has had a few knocks. Ayer missed a chunk of the season. Zanka missed some games and Pontus Janssen missed some games. I thought maybe bringing in one would have helped. But instead, they went the other way and they loaned out Charlie Good. No, I don't think he's up to much anyway. He's not a Premier League player. But they're now one less there. So some some slight little negatives. But the over overreaching thing is is the positivity of, of them going out, bringing in Ericsson, adding that potential creativity to the team, which, as you said, is something they have lacked. It'll take a lot of the burden off Ivan Tony, who has been their primary creator this year when what they need him to be is the primary goal scorer. So I'm hoping that Ericsson will mean Tony gets more opportunities to be what he is, which is a goal scoring nine. And if the if the Ericsson deal works, it's an A window. Um I would say I'll give it a, a B minus overall as things stand, because we don't know yet with Ericsson. But not gambling, not risking the the financial stability of the club. And I think clearing out a couple of players or getting a couple of players out on loan who needed minutes, like Mads Bitstrup, for example, is a good midfielder with potential. He needs to play games and he's not quite Premier League ready. Um, Mikel, Marcus Fors is the same. Good, promising striker, but not quite Premier League ready. And Zambura, getting them out on loan, I think is is beneficial to them. So, yeah, I'll go B- minus. I think, as, as a whole in this window. But, like I say, if the Ericsson one works... It could well be an A. Yeah, next up are Brighton, who I think you and I have like consecutively given Bs and higher for like the last six mm. windows. And you're finally starting to see it. Obviously, they have a fantastic manager in Grand Potter that seems committed to the club. Said he isn't even questioning other things. Currently sitting top 10 in the table. Although, as we say, table's a little iffy right now with the, the differences in, in games played. But what did you make of this window? I really like what they did. I mean, they've obviously taken a long-term view with this window. Kasper Kozlowski coming in, huge talent, had been linked with Liverpool, and I think with Spurs as well and a couple of other clubs. He's been compared to Kevin De Bruyne, Emil Smith-Rowe, that type of player. And he does look very, very talented. He's obviously gone straight back out on loan. Uh, Dennis Undav, the striker they've brought in, again, he looks talented, but you know, 25, how much of a ceiling does he have? He's gone straight back out on loan as well. So nobody coming in to really improve the squad, though they did bring back Moises Casado, the young midfielder, the Ecuadorian player that they managed to steal from 
under the noses of a number of top clubs. So he will absolutely help. They cleared off their wage bill as well, finally getting rid of Lacadia, uh, sending Aaron Connolly out on loan. The Dan Byrne one is a bit strange. I could have understood it if they'd brought Leo uh, Ostergaard back and kept him on loan, or kept him at the club, but they've loaned him as well. So they are one down at centre-back, which is a little bit of a concern, but you know they've got a promising academy there and there's one or two players I know they're quite high on. Overall, I think it's a solid window. I still think they've left themselves that that one ready-made goal scorer short, which has been my complaint about them now for this is the fourth window in a row. They, they do everything so well. They defend really well. They limit up opponents' opportunities. They only give up really like low-probability chances. They create a lot of chances. They can control games in midfield. The one knock on them is that inability to put the ball in the back of the net. I assume in the summer they will have somebody in in mind and in line to come in and fill that role. Uh, I think they're a club that we'll see have a a bit more of a splurge in the summer when finances start to rebound. They lost quite a bit over the pandemic. But all things considered, it's a B window. I mean, Kozlowski has the promise to be a huge, huge player for them. They kept Basuma. They kept all their important players, really. And I think $13.5 million is a fair price to get for Dan Byrne, who I wouldn't be a big fan of, but he's done a decent job for them. Yeah, I think you make some really good points. I, I, I went B-, minus, but, you know, it's, it's pretty pretty nitpicky difference there. Um, and I totally agree with you. I think them loading up on young talents to bring in either to, you know, the 23s or into, like, the lower level of the senior squad has worked for them in the past. You're finally seeing McAllister get the minutes that we thought he would, like, two years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think you can trust their system and their manager and their style of play with these young players who, you know, it's once they get their chance will likely thrive and, and do pretty well. I did think Dan Byrne might have been a bit of an overpay, and I agree with you that they let them show on the Newcastle side, and I, I do think Brighton have left themselves a little bit short. Uh, actually, the last two clubs were two of the clubs that were allegedly uh, interested in Joe Roden, which I th- would have been a huge uh, addition, I think, for both. Yeah, but, Joe Roden <laughs> at Brighton just makes sense, doesn't it, as that ball-playing centre-back? Yeah, um, but we haven't figured that out and don't know how to play without Eric Dyer because none of our <laughs> centre-backs can pass with Romero out. Uh, why we aren't actually giving Joe Roden a shot, I myself don't know. But a lot of clubs were in for him. We didn't let him leave, which was a very interesting choice. But I think that would have been a good solution for each of the last two clubs that we'd mentioned there. Um, moving on to Burnley. Uh, selling Chris Wood to a relegation candidate under dubious circumstances about a buyout clause that might not have even been active. Uh, not a great look, as it turns out. Um, as Jamie often says on the show, it seems like Dyche and others at the club were blaming Wood for his lack of attacking output and their general lack of attacking output. Uh, but that's like a weird amount of weight to put onto a player for a team that's created literally the fewest chances in the league this season. Um, he's averaged 10 goals a season for like the last, what, four or five years. You know what he is. If he's not scoring the goals, do you think it's a problem with your guy that consistently scores the same amount of goals every season? Or do you think that maybe there's not enough happening behind him? Obviously, uh, Maxwell Cornet coming in and being their entire attack and then leaving for AFCON, not ideal. But this is a very weird situation. It seems like they were just wanting him out because they were blaming him for the lack of goals. 
But uh, that's hardly the whole truth. On the other side, though, Velt Veghorst. How many years have we been mm. asking to see Velt Veghorst in the Premier League? And he finally shows up. I'm not sure if Burnley is the right place, uh, ultimately. And it'll be very interesting to see what that contract looks like if they end up going down anyway. Um, but I have seen like some hesitance from Burnley fans about whether or not Veghorst is an upgrade on wood. Uh, he is. Yes. He is. He is. A <laughs> substantial. And I like Chris Ward. Me too. I, I think Chris Ward is an underrated player. I just think Chris Ward shouldn't be your main source of goals. Like, if he's the guy that leads the line, does the hard work, and then you've got a, a Max Cornet behind him, I think that's fine. Um, but, you know, Burnley were over reliant on him for goals because. Well, there's just no goals anywhere else in their team. They don't get many from defence. They don't get many from midfield. It is just what the front two can do. That's just the way Dyche plays. I think they got very good value for Wood. I mean, if you mm -hmm. just say, for example, look at his transfer market value, um, they have him at 5.4 million, which is very low. But he might have only had, I think, 18 months left on his contract. They got 25, 26 million for him. It's good value. Veghorst is well undervalued. I mean, they got him for 12 and a half million. He's, he's easily worth 20. He's a tremendous player. And I do like the idea of him and Cornet. I'm hopeful we'll see a lot more from Dwight McNeil over the second half of this season. Yeah. I think if he's on form, Veghorst will have a field day against a lot of Premier League defenders. I just feel like they've left themselves short. They, mm. they, Going into the window pre-Chris Wood, they clearly needed additions and they didn't make them. They went all the way down the road with Orsic from Zagreb and it fell apart. There was no plan B. They allegedly made an offer for Seiko Fafana. We never heard anything more about it. What happened to that deal? You know, you're looking at a situation where, yes, they've they, they've improved in that they've brought in a player who's better than the player who he's, he's replacing. But at the same time, I, I still feel like they've left themselves short. And they've left Dice short again. And yeah. I, I don't know how many more times he's going to put up with that. But I can see the logic in not wanting to go out and splurge when, you know, you've, you're maybe staring down the barrel of relegation. But you could have gone for a couple of loans. There's no reason you couldn't have brought in another midfielder on loan. There's plenty of midfielders moved on loan in this window. You could have brought in maybe one more at you know at center back to give you four quality center backs you've got Tarkovsky you've got me you've got Nathan Collins that's pretty strong but you definitely needed one more in there just for a bit more depth a bit more quality and you didn't do that and I do I do worry about them yeah Veghorst in wood out and a profit of 12 and a half million it, it is a good window but when you're bottom of the league it's not quite enough yeah, that cash in your bank account isn't going to help you stay up. That's it. You know, you, you can't point to that next season. You can't contact your season ticket holders in the summer and say, ticket prices are staying the same even though we've been relegated. But look, there's 12.5 million in the bank, so we're doing well. Yeah, it's, it's a B minus for me. Yeah, I, I've, I've been far more harsh. I've gone with a D because you've, you've, it's not an F because you've given yourself the sliver of hope that Cornet and Veghorst can do a madness. And like you said, McNeil hasn't been used to his biggest strengths this season. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to blame him specifically when I started this whole section by complaining about them putting too, much, too many blames on, on individual players. But 
with those three, you have a sliver of a chance. But right now, you know, you look at, at the table in the, are there three worse teams than us? And right now it's probably no. And I don't think Velt Veghorst changes that. There's a chance that if somebody else gets unlucky and you get lucky, that you're good. But outside of that, I feel like you had an opportunity this window. Twelve million goes a long way, especially yeah. if you're doing loan deals. Um, and the fact that you just held on to it, didn't do anything else with it. You mentioned some of the other names they were linked to, none of which seemed unlikely. All of those seemed like players who'd be like, oh, snap, an opportunity to move to the Premier League. Let's do it. Um, yeah, and there's even championship players they could have gone and targeted. Like, there's a bunch of championship clubs really feeling the pinch. Oh, totally. After COVID. You could have gone and bought those players. And if you go down, well, they're proven quality in the championship. They may help you come back up, even if you lose one or two of your you know, bigger name players, like a McNeil or a Pope. Mm-hmm. You could have gone down and bounced back up. Like, that, that for me is a li- leaving themselves a little bit short. Like, when we were talking about Brentford earlier on, I meant to mention they tried to get uh, Brennan Johnson from Nottingham Forest, right. and I believe they bid 20 odd million. You know, they were targeting the championship. It's something that Burnley themselves have done very well in recent years. The likes of Josh Brownhill brought in from there. There has to be a couple more. Like there's, there's some really good players in the championship. You, you could have been more aggressive in, in chasing down one or two. And again, a loan or two as well. And it, it would have made all the difference. Because like you said, you start looking at the league table and asking, is there three worst teams? And right now, it's hard to say yes. I would say that Watford are probably a worse team. Mm-hmm. I would say that Norwich are probably a worse team. Norwich are four points ahead of them, but Burnley have four games in hand, <laughs> which is bizarre. Um, but then, like, who else are you looking at? Newcastle, I mean... You maybe... sold your striker to that club. Yeah. And then bought three or four first-team players. Exactly. Then you're kind of looking at Everton and hoping they can collapse, which is possible. We'll get to them. But you're hoping amongst hope then. It's not really a you know a straight-up battle as it would be against a Watford or a Norwich. You're hoping those teams fail to live up to their own potential for them to finish below you. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough time, and, and you're right. You, I think you were closer. I'll, I'll go with a, with a C rather than a B-. minus. Mm. I'll drop it down because when you look at that league table... I mean, the fact that they've only won one game so far this season, they're going to have a, he- a hectic schedule moving forward. 20 games left. Mm-hmm. like With one of the West thinner Ham, squads in the Premier League. That's it. West Ham and Brentford have five games less than you. Like how, how You've got five games more than some teams in the division. That never happens in the Premier League. Yeah, very, very weird stuff indeed. On the other end of the spectrum is Chelsea, who I think nobody has uh, played more games than. Uh yeah. I don't know if you watch Sky's coverage. It gets harder and harder for me every year. Um, but Chelsea fans, very not happy on that particular platform about this window while, you know, they kind of slip out of even the title race meaningfully. What did you think of their window? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. They clearly needed to make some additions in this window. Um, ben Chilwell out for the season. Marcus Alonso is, is, is fine, but he's not particularly great. Um, Reese James out for a while. So your your way of playing has to change. So we've seen them change to a back four in recent weeks. And unfortunately for them, they don't really have the centre-backs to play in the back four because Rudiger struggles in a four. Uh, Thiago Silva's just too old and too slow to play in a four. Aspilicueta can't play centre-back in a four. He can only play right-back. Christensen's the only one you have that can play centre-back in a four at a high level. He's out of contract. And he's, yeah, exactly. He's out of contract. Rudiger's out of contract. Aspilicueta's out of contract. So it looks like, as things stand today, you're going to lose all three of them in the summer, which means you have to go and buy three new cent- or three new defenders in the summer, rather than maybe getting one of them in now, letting them bed in for five, six months, even if they're not the starter. At least it leaves less on your plate for the summer. It leaves less integration next summer. But they've left themselves short there. I felt like they could maybe have done with going for uh, somebody who could play in a two with Lukaku up front and play kind of something like the Latura Martinez role where they work the channels, they play wide. Now, they may argue that Timo Werner can play that role, but all that we've seen of Timo Werner at Chelsea thus far has been disappointing. So I feel like they've left themselves short at both ends of the pitch. And... There's no real excuse for it because it was a free hit. You're unlikely to chat to win the league anyway. You've played a game more than City and you're 10 points behind them. You're unlikely to fall out of the top four. So why not go and start doing what you, whatever it was you were planning for the summer? Why not start it now? Now, it may be that those players weren't available, but we heard nothing out of Chelsea in the window. No rumours of this Just player. Just the last day was Mano Dembele. Yeah. And I mean... Is, is that the answer to your issues? I mean, don't <laughs> you, have, like, you already wingers? have multiple wingers who can play? Like, you've got Pulisic, you've got Hudson-Odoi, you've got 
Zayic, Mount can play in your front three, Havertz can play that. Dembele makes no sense for them at all. He, he's actually a terrible fit into how they play and how Tuchel wants to play. I know he's played under Tuchel before, and maybe Tuchel feels he can get the best out of him having done so in the past, but to me it's a very disappointing window for a club like Chelsea who really needed to start kind of locking in on, okay, the league is gone, let's go and try and retain the Champions League, but let's also start planning for next season. I think they've let themselves down here, and they've let Tuchel down as well, in my view. I'm giving them an F. Yeah, I've given them an F as well. I realize there's a lot of talking about a club who did basically nothing, but uh, I just feel like I need to offer a mea culpa since this this half is the one that's going to be on on the EPL Roundtable channel. Of just, I was so so confident that Chelsea were going to be title winners this year, and there are matches where they clearly look it, and then there will be three or four in a row where they just don't. And, and as we said, they've basically slipped out of title contention already both because they've played so many games and are already so far behind and and just because they don't look up for it, it feels like the style isn't matching the players that they have when the point of bringing in Tuchel was to get the best out of the players that they had. Obviously worked last year, you know, winning the Champions League and such. And and I thought that that would kind of lead to them pushing uh, strength to strength kind of the way Liverpool did when the Champions League then go on and, and, you know, compete if not win the title the next season. But it really feels like it, it's already gone for them. So maybe, again, as you said at the top of the show, they were like, title's gone, let's not waste our money now, let's aim on next year. And they have spent a lot of money recently. You know, obviously they're a very rich club, but at a certain point <laughs> you can't invest always. But, you know, with Thiago Silva, who I think they extended in his contract with the, the other three that you mentioned, they're going to need a lot of money for center back in the summer. So maybe that was the thought. Maybe this is like, instead of me giving them an F for conceding, which is what I have on my sheet here, maybe it's more positive than that. Maybe it's them recognizing that they've already fallen short this year and that no amount of money was going to fix it. But uh, no, I'm going to stick with F because it feels cowardly. Um, <laughs> remember as well, Kevin, the summer. Like, yeah, they did spend a lot of money to bring in uh, Romelu Lukaku in the summer, but it's not like a thing where they actually had a particularly big net spend. Like, if you look at Mm. their sales, they sold Tammy Abraham, Kurt Zuma, and Fikayo Tamore for about 90 million. Livermento as well, the Southampton. Livermento went, Zabacosta went, Victor Moses went, they brought in substantial loan fees for a couple of players their net spend in the summer was pretty close to zero so the you know the, there's not really the excuse that in this financial year they've spent a lot already they haven't and i i think that's why i, I would have liked to have seen them go and spend this summer or sorry this win this win this window rather than leaving it all to the summer where now you're looking at it and saying, okay, they're going to need at least three in defense, two starter quality center backs, and one for depth to replace Aspilicueta. You're also going to lose a lot of leadership when Aspi leaves. And then you, you need something in attack as well, because clearly this attacking group is not working. You know, So that's four, three big signings and one, at least one for depth. You'll probably have to buy somebody to replace Saul who is unlikely to stay, just from a numbers point of view in midfield, you're going to need another holding midfielder in there. I, I, I do really struggle with this window for them because it's it's leaving a lot on the summer and you could be looking at 300 million in the summer. Whereas if you'd gone and spent, now nobody's saying go and spend 100 million now, but 
40, 50, 60 million could have got you a really good centre-back in this window. Like a Ben Wabadi Ashile, who was available from Monaco for about 35 to 40 million. He could have been that long-term successor to Rudiger. You get him in now. He learns under Rudiger for six months, learns the intricacies of playing the left-sided role in Tuchel's back three. And then by next season, he's integrated into the squad. He's had six months of training under Tuchel and then a full preseason. And come opening day, he's ready to go, as opposed to bringing him in in the summer. He might not be there for the whole summer because it depends on when you get the deal done. He gets limited training time under Tuchel in the system, limited match practice in the system. And then you're asking him to just step right in day one and and be ready. And that's a big ask. Do you know? So that's just where my my unhappiness with what Chelsea have done is. Because like you, I had them to win the league this season as well. Hmm. And, and, you know, they could still win <laughs> two trophies. So, uh, <laughs> well, three, I suppose, after today's very uh, upsetting result. But, yeah, it, for the league, not so much there. And I agree with a lot of those points, especially with how much they're going to have to spend at the back. Um, all right, we'll move on to Crystal Palace now. Uh, mostly comes down to a deal that didn't happen for me. Um, Palace air quotes missed out on Donny van de Beek, but we, we talked with uh, Sam Carp on our last show about it. But, you know, did they? <laughs> because Gallagher is in the form of his life right now, and you'd have to imagine that van de Beek's presence could have disrupted that, and they're both on loan. So you're just, like, frustrating your own currently on loan player for the second half of the season to bring in another one that wouldn't have had an option to buy. So I actually think that was uh, not so much as a miss or 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 gazumping as <laughs> it's good. <laughs> they probably didn't need him anyway. There, although I do have concerns about what the point of Van de Beek is and, and how teams are perceiving his position, but we'll get to that when you get to, as always, discuss the Ev. But um, I, I do think them being in on Delhi on a permanent would have been smart um, because he would have been there long-term. He could have been an upgrade at mm-hmm. just traditional central midfield um, before moving to a more attacking role post-Gallagher unless they can somehow find the money to keep him, which... I think would be great for the player, but doesn't feel likely financially. Um, but uh, and it should be noted that they do have Eze there long term, so maybe the the ultimate goal is just Eze's fit, and he's just going to boss things once he's better, which he absolutely has the talent to do. But um, the the thing that they actually did, which would have been really surprising a couple of months ago, was the permanent signing of Jean Philippe Mateta, who Tottenham really liked back when Poch was in charge. Um, and uh, he moved to Palace. I thought that was going to be like a great move. Hasn't really been, although he's already had a couple of memorable goals against uh, Brighton. Um, mm. So that's that's enough for them, I guess. Uh, got his first goal and assist of the season in the past three. Uh, as I said, love the talent. He's fallen pretty short of it at this point, but Benteke is already into his 30s. So the idea could just be that Mateta is the Benteke replacement in the squad long term. Come on, maybe get you somewhere between five and ten goals in a season and call it a day. Um, obviously, you have Altan Edouard and, and Elise who who you can use up there. So you know, for what did it end up being like ten ish million? It's that's fine. Um, Palace did most of their work in the summer. We talked about how crazy it was that they got rid of basically their entire senior squad, yeah. converted it into money, and then actually converted the money into a very good senior squad. So uh, I don't think I would have bet my money on that, but it seems to have worked out. The managerial appointment seemed risky. That seems to have worked out. Uh, so for the window, I've given it a C plus. It's not really much going on here, but definitely an upward trajectory for Palace. A oh, 100%. Like you, I thought that Donny one was a little bit of a strange link. Um, but obviously they were just, you know, hoping to get in another very talented player, not one they would have had any 
interest or possibility to keep long term, but maybe just take a bit of the pressure off Gallagher. I think they'll try and keep Gallagher in the summer. Like you, I don't know how financially viable it will be, but I do think they'll give it a good old go. And I think he'd quite like to stay there. Um, Delhi would have made more sense because I think Delhi's versatility and getting Delhi under Vieira, I think, would have been beneficial if they could have got the deal that Everton got. I think it would have been better for him and for them. But the ones I'm surprised they didn't really go for, I thought they would have gone for Maitland Niles on loan. I thought he made a lot of sense. I don't know. Maybe they can't do another Premier No, they only have one Premier League loan in, don't they? In Gallagher. So they could have done another. They could have got him. Or maybe like a Tom Davies from Everton, someone that needs their career rejuvenated. I thought they could have done with just one more bustly one in midfield because Will Hughes has worked out quite well. Gallagher's been good. But Koyate's in his 30s. Milivojevic is in his 30s. MacArthur's in his 30s. And he's missed quite a bit of football this year. So I thought one more kind of energy player in midfield could have been beneficial. I think they need an upgrade at right back on Joel Ward, but there wasn't the market for that right now. So that's fine to leave that till summer. I, I like the idea to keep Matete, but as you said, I mean, two months ago, there was talk they were going to terminate the loan and send him back. But he had a bit of a resurgence and you have to give credit to Vieira on this because I think we've seen both Benteke and Matete have a bit of a turnaround this season, just in terms of their all-round game. I know Benteke had a bit of a goal-scoring run last season, but his all-round play this season has been a lot better. He seems happier in himself. He seems happier at the club and in his role. So, you know, I give credit to Vieira for that. The same at Mateta. He just seems to have adapted now to the role that Vieira wants him for. He knows that if he plays well, he'll get more minutes. And that's the kind of the the carrot that Vieira is putting out there for players. If you play well, and if you work really hard on the pitch and off, I will give you more minutes. And then, like you said, they've got Ezik back fit now. He's a potential star. Michael Elise looks a potential star. Eduard, as he settles a bit more, will get more goals for them. They've got Zaha, who I think is due a you know a, a decent half of a season because I thought he's been a bit quiet in the first half of the year. They've got a quality pairing at centre-back. They've got a good young left-back. There's the bones of something really good taking shape here. And I think they've done well not to not to try and rush this build. Like, this is a build. It's not a rebuild. This is a build from basically nothing, where they weren't really living in the Premier League. They were just sort of existing in the, you know, the lower regions of mid-table. Very boring football. You knew they weren't going down. You knew they weren't going to challenge for Europe. And I think that's what they're trying to build now is a team that maybe can get towards the fringes of European competition. Um, And I I think it's smart to take a slow approach. That's why the loan for Donny kind of made sense to me in that you knew they weren't going to keep him, but he could help them in the second half of the season, maybe get a top half finish, maybe get some important goals. But just to stand pat, to do what they did, get Mateta permanently, it means that if in the summer Benteke wants to leave, they've got their kind of target man striker there already in-house, don't need to replace them. So all in all, I'll give them a B-. minus. I think it's a solid window, and I think it's a clever window, given how much they did in the summer. Yeah, it would have been crazy for them to spend more. Uh, so yeah, I think I ended up giving them a C plus. so we'll roll with that. Now, as we have alluded to throughout the Crystal Palace segment, you now get to talk about Everton. It's my favourite club to talk about. <laughs> 
Um, they're always doing stuff, and so little of it makes sense. They they do a lot. They're a very busy club that don't ever seem to go anywhere. I think it has to start this conversation with the the manager. So let's let's look at what they did, right? So they sold Lucadinia. They said they bought Michaelenko, they bought Patterson, and they sold Lucadinia. And then they sacked the manager who'd just been allowed to do those three deals. That's not what a a well-run club does. A well-run club does not allow a manager to make two major signings, sell one of your four or five best players, and then sack him. But on the whole, in those fullback positions, I do actually like these moves because while it's a short-term downgrade, Michaelenko from Dinia, I think in the medium and long term, they're going to be upgrades in the aggregate at fullbacks. So Seamus Coleman at right back, clearly well past his best. Nathan Patterson is a huge talent at right back. So even if Michael Enko, when he gets to his best level, isn't as good as Dina, I think what we'll see is Patterson be better than what we've seen from Seamus Coleman for probably the last three years. So therefore, I think they can consider the fullbacks upgraded in the aggregate. I really like Ben Godfrey. I know he's had a bit of an odd season, but I do like him. And if Mina could stay fit, that's a back four that I think can go places. I really like the signing of Delhi. I've always thought Delhi off Calvert-Lewin with Richarlison in a wide role is ideal if you've got a good crosser on the other side and, and Damari Gray is a good crosser of the ball. Delhi running beyond Calvert-Lewin, working off his knockdowns and flick-ons. And then Richarlison bursting in from the wing. I think there's something that can be done there, similar to how it was with Kane, Delhi, and Son. Now, obviously, Calvert-Lewin and, and Richarlison aren't of the quality of Kane and, and Youngman's Son. But stylistically, there's, there's similarities there to how this can work. But signing Delhi makes no sense when you've already brought Donny van de Beek in the door because you can't play the two of them together. Unless you're playing, like, they don't have the holding midfielder to play with Donny in midfield. Decore is not good enough as a holding midfielder to make that work. And it, it takes away what he's best at, which is those lung-bursting box-to-box runs, driving forward, carrying the ball. Alan is a very good player. His legs are going, though. So him and Donny's just not dynamic enough to cover the ground. So what's the point in signing both of them? Especially when Delhi is a permanent signing. Why did you bother bringing in Donny van de Beek? Maybe they didn't know that Delhi could be had at the time. Who knows? I, I like the signing of Michael Anko. I like the signing of Patterson. I like the signing of Delhi. I like Anwar El Ghazi as just a bit of a depth option in the wide areas on a loan with you know no obligation to buy. I think they got good value for Lucadinha at 28 years of age. I don't like the Donny van der Beek signing and I don't like the move for him either. I think it's a waste for him. But what I really don't like is the managerial appointment. I genuinely believe that Frank Lampard is the worst manager in the Premier League. And I think if you look up and down the league, I really don't see who anybody could make a good case that Lampard is better than. I don't see one name that anyone could make a good case that he's better than he's not better than Hodgson, he's not better than Howe or Smith or Bielsa or Frank or Vieira or Hasenhutl or Gerard or Rogers or Potter. Certainly not better than Bruno Lage, certainly not better than Conte. 
I mean, Arteta is, I think, one of the worst managers in the league as well. But he's better than Lampard. Moyes, Ranić hasn't been a real manager for 10 years. He's still better than Lampard. And then the top three of the top three. You know, Pep, Klopp and, and Tuchel are three of the four best managers in the league, with Conte being the other one. So I, I don't see anyone that he's better than. I think they've downgraded at manager. So if I factor the manager in, it, it pulls the window right down for me. Because otherwise I'd look at it and say, you know what? That's a B window. Mm. If it was Michaelenko, Patterson and Delhi and El Ghazi in and Dina out and, you know, a solid, stable situation, I'd say that's probably a B plus. Donny pulls it down a little bit to a B. but with So it's a B for the window. But with Lampard, overall, that to me drags it right down to a D. I just, I think he's a terrible appointment. And I, I hope I'm wrong, because I, I do like when Everton are good, because I think it, it makes our wins over them mean more. But I just think he's awful. And I've seen nothing to dissuade me. He took a Derby team from sixth to sixth, having spent a whole load of money on a whole load of players that didn't work out, and massively increased their wage bill through a bunch of expensive loans and still only finished sixth. And then he took over a Chelsea team that finished third, won the Europa League, and he finished fourth with them purely on the basis that Leicester threw threw away a top four finish with one of the worst choke jobs we've ever seen in the league. <laughs> and that was, like, people say, oh, transfer embargo, transfer embargo. No, hang on a second now. They got to keep Kovacic on a free or on, on a permanent deal. And as you know, a player on a permanent deal will always outperform a player on a loan deal mm-hmm. because they're more confident in their surroundings. They're more committed to the organization. They got, they'd bought Pulisic in the summer, or in, in the January. He arrived in the summer, so that was a big big uh, incoming. And then he got to add Mount, Tamore, and Abraham to the squad, who Sarri hadn't had. So if I look at their squad from that season and the squad from the season before, I think Lampard had a better squad. Fair enough, he didn't have Eden Hazard. But is Eden Hazard by himself better than Pulisic, Mount, Tamori, and Abraham? Not for me. He's currently not better than any of them. <laughs> He's currently one of the worst flops that football has ever seen. So, and, we, and he'd had seasons like this at Chelsea. Let's not forget. He went an entire calendar year without scoring a goal. So I don't think Chelsea's squad got worse. I think the expectation collapsed because it was Lampard and that no one knew what to make of him as a manager. And he was lauded then for not taking them as far backwards as maybe people thought he would. But this idea that, oh, no one expected top four, well, that's nonsense because if you look at all the predictor models from before the season, like 538 and those, all of them had Chelsea top four. The only reason people thought they'd fall out of it is because a bunch of idiot pundits on the likes of BBC, people like Gareth Crooks, predicted them to finish out to the top four. But with that Chelsea team, getting top four is not an achievement. It's like getting a free toy with your Happy Meal. It's not something to be lauded. It's just <laughs> par for the course. So for me, he's he's failed in two jobs. Like, let's remember, he had Chelsea in ninth, and they went on and won the Champions League with the same group of players under a real manager. I think he's failed twice. I expect him to fail again. I think they've given him an 18-month contract because I don't think they wanted him in the first place. They clearly wanted Vitor Pereira. But the fans have influenced this. And I think we're about to see that when fans have too much influence, things go catastrophically bad. 
overall, I'm giving it a D if I'm including Lampard. But a B on the signings, because like I say, other than the Donny one, I, I like what they did. And I'd like the Donny one if they hadn't bought Delhi. Yeah, totally to your point. It's just why both? If if Because both deals were done on deadline day, right? So if during deadline day you realize you can get Delhi, just don't go through with the loan that takes up your last loan spot. Do an actual loan to buy for Delhi instead of this free transfer 10 million after 20 matches up to 40 million if he plays 80 in two and a half years because what a weird way to structure a deal but we'll get to weirdly structured deals from top when we get there um but why are you doing that when you could have just loaned him and then not gone in for donny short term unless as you say unless the idea is that they will play one holding midfielder and then play Delhi and Van de Beek in front of it, or they view either Van de Beek or Delhi as a actual central midfielder. But are they better than Decore in that position, or are they better than Alan? You know, no. So yeah, just very strange to have done both of those. Um, I've given them a C uh, just because, like you said, if you just like look at the sheets the sheet of ins and outs, it doesn't look that terrible. But if you look at the context of, as you say, getting rid of Dinier because he had a fight with Benitez, then getting rid of Benitez like three mm. days later, it's just... It, it, this will be a theme in the second half, I feel. But like, the on-paper results, I'm giving a C. But the process gets... What's worse than an F? A double F. 17 Fs for their process that led them to what ended up being a decent window in a vacuum. That's uh, the thing, and you've also got to factor in what's going to be the knock-on effect now. If they don't have a good second half of the season, I don't see Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison signing on for another year of this. I think Richarlison's gone anyway, but you're I, not wrong. Probably, is, which players probably. start asking questions of, is this where I want to be long-term? Ben Godfrey, you mentioned earlier, big clubs still see the talent there. Mm. Like, that's a player that could be poached Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin. Um, Townsend could even well I don't really know where he'd go Damari Graves had a massive oh, bounce yep. back here totally like why is Alon still at Everton <laughs> wasn't he in the same situation as Hamas Rodriguez and he was only there because uh, you know their former boss was but anyway we'll, <laughs> we'll stop talking about Everton now uh, and talk very briefly about Leeds United because I don't really know anything about Mateo Joseph Fernandez. Uh, he seems to be joining their youth setup anyway, so I don't feel too bad about that. None of the outgoings seem particularly like they're going to have a big impact. It's just Leeds saying, our talent and manager are enough to dig us out of our current hole. We said earlier, Burnley, there aren't three teams worse. Leeds are looking at that, and they're like, yeah, there are definitely three teams worse, yeah. so whatever. Uh, they've obviously faced a lot of injuries throughout the season. Uh, does seem to be somewhat of an element of kind of being found out by other clubs. Um, in my opinion, you know, Bielsa hasn't really changed his system in 20 plus years. So maybe not a huge shock on that front. But just like Pochettino's best teams, they played the same way every time. They had the players that knew the system. And more often than not, that was going to get them results. Without those players, it's not getting them results. So I, I don't mean found out in like a he's a fraud kind of way. This is just how it works. Um, but anyway, there's there's a chance they could get dragged into the relegation fight. This window did nothing to avoid that. But like I said, I think they just think their existing squad and their manager are going to be enough. Yeah, that's very much the case. They're gambling on not having the same type of injury issues that they had in the first half of the year. I do think there's an element of some of the players getting a little bit found out as well. Because 
we see it a lot with clubs that come up from the championship. And even when they spend a lot of money and bring in a lot of players, there's still a core group there of players who brought them up that they'll keep for continuity and whatever else. And over time, you do see certain players. We've seen it at Brentford. We saw it last year at Sheffield United. Players who were good championship players, but career championship players. And they were career championship players for a reason. And I look at Leeds and I I look at Luke Ayling, I think championship player. I look at Liam Cooper, who's their captain, championship level player. Uh, Stuart Dallas, I think, is a championship level player. And they're, look, they're valuable squad players. And if they're your depth, I think that's fine. But unfortunately, Leeds are still relying on too many of these players. With Calvin Phillips been out injured, they've had a big gaping hole in midfield and no one to protect that back four. And they've been exposed time and again. I think there's the bones of something good at Leeds. I would have liked to have seen them gone and maybe add one in midfield, even on a loan, just to give them a little bit bit more solidity until uh, Phillips is back. Because he's not expected back, I don't think, for another month. So, you know, they have desperately missed him. Um, But they are relying on the talent they have. Like, they're relying heavily on Rafinha, on Jack Harrison, on getting Bamford back and hoping that he can have a good run in the second half of the season. But I, I thought one in midfield would have made a big difference. But again, I, I do feel that even though there are three teams worse than them, without question, they're in the same boat as Brentford, where it could just all fall apart. You get Rafinha injured for a couple of months. Who's creating the goals for them? You know, if, if Phillips has a setback, the midfield is, is exposed. If Loriente gets hurt long-term, as he has in the past, the defence becomes a major issue. So... Things could conspire against them and they could collapse into that bottom three. And I think they've also looked at that part of it and thought, well, do we really want to lumber ourselves with, you know, with big investments if we go down? And they've made the decision not to. So it's a D because they didn't do anything. Um, But, you know, I I don't think it's the worst case of not doing anything. Like you said, they're gambling on talent, not having the injuries and being fairly safe in the knowledge that there are at least three, probably four, almost certainly five teams in the division who are worse than them. Yeah, exactly. And for that reason, I've given them a not applicable for their grade because they did nothing. It probably means nothing that they did nothing, unlike some of these other clubs where doing nothing could meaningfully harm them. Uh, We'll finish up this section with Leicester, uh, another club that didn't really do uh, much in terms of incomings, but some interesting outgoings. Yeah, I mean... This is where I think the Premier League needs to be launching an investigation. Leicester cried off multiple games. Um, and one of them was largely down to the fact that they had no fit centre-backs. And they released Philippe Benkovic from his contract when he had 18 months left. And Udinese signed him the very next day, almost as if they probably could have gotten a fee for him but felt felt like just going and releasing him. Who's, by the way, a good defender, 24 years of age. I think they paid 14 million for him, something like that, 13, 14 million. They paid a sizable fee for Benkovic. So I didn't understand that. I mean, again, they're gambling on not having the injury problems that they've had in the first half. They're, they're hoping that Fafana comes back and is gets back to his best fairly quickly. They're gambling on James Justin staying fit now for the rest of the season. That's a big boost for them. Uh, Ricardo Pereira and Castanier staying fit. They both had injuries in the first half. 
Sionchu may be recovering a bit of form. Johnny Evans staying fit, which he hasn't been able to do. Ndidi staying fit. He missed a chunk of the season. We know they've got the quality. We know that their best 11 is one of the best, best 11s in the league. Like, you go Casper, Pereira, Fafana, Sionchu, James, Helamans and Ndidi. And then, say it's, I don't know, Adam Ola-Luckman, James Madison, Harvey Barnes, and Vardy or Iheanacho or Daka up front. It's a very good 11 with some quality depth sprinkled about as well in, in Johnny Evans and Castanier and Bubakari Samari and whichever one of the front two, or the, 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 sorry, the three strikers isn't starting up front. There's a lot of talent there. Um, I, they apparently tried to get Nat Phillips in on loan as sort of an emergency centre-back, uh, which kind of tells you all you need to know about. Brendan's eye for centre-back, considering he was the one that signed Vestigard, who's awful, and released Benkovic, who's better than Vestigard. Um, they didn't do anything, so I, I, there's no real, nothing else really to say about them other than it's a D. They didn't do anything stupid, which is why it's not an F. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest question is, you know, they expected for so long to get um, Benkovic in to that starting team, which didn't look as necessary because they just hit jackpot with the Johnny Evans deal for a few years there. Obviously, age and injury starting to catch up with him. But the, the long-term thought had to have been Benkovic and Soyuncu, but now Soyuncu has regressed so hard. Just mentioned Johnny mm. Evans' injury issues. Obviously, they lost their most talented center back for the season in a horror challenge and a friendly before the season started. Uh, and now you're letting Benkovic go. I, I just... It feels like it's been mismanaged. A lot of that is just bad luck and bad timing, but that's been happening at Leicester so much that I think I've stopped seeing them as like a victim of fate and started wondering, you know, how this keeps happening to them. And is there something they're doing that is inviting all of these problems to just continually happen at them? But anyway. You've got I, Brandon Rogers and Lee Conjurton in important positions in your club, and both of them are idiots. Like, so. <laughs> well, that could be it. <laughs> Lee Conjurton might be the. He might be the worst director of recruitment I've ever seen. Like the job he did at Celtic was nothing short of a disgrace. He's very, very fortunate that Leicester have a great scouting network and a great recruitment department. So while he may have a title of director of recruitment, their recruitment takes place around him. Uh, I know Atalanta came knocking. I'd imagine once they sat down with him, they were like, "No, go away. We don't want you." But you know, he's failed pretty much everywhere he's been. And with Brendan. I, I do think there's a shelf life for Brendan. I, I do think at times he obviously rates himself very highly. I think he wants to be the biggest star in the room, similar to Mourinho. And I think similar to Mourinho, he finds he, he probably grates on people after a certain amount of time. And maybe the players start to tune him out. It wouldn't surprise me if he isn't at Leicester next season um, for one reason or another. That They're 10th. I mean, there's no excuse for them to be 10th, even with the injuries. They should be higher. There's so much quality and talent there. They should be higher in the league. They've been really, really poor this season. And I, I think the end is probably nigh for Brendan in one way or another. Because he won't want the the ignominy of being sacked. He'll want to go on his own terms. So I, I think he could walk in the summer and um, hopefully bring Lee Conjurton with him. Do you think he could trick a bigger club into bringing him in the way he could have last season, though, after missing out twice and then coming in with what looks like it'll wind up just being a mid-table finish this year? I think Brendan is a great candidate to go abroad. He speaks uh, fluent Spanish, 
fluent French and near fluent Italian. So it wouldn't surprise me if Brendan went abroad and mm. kind of, you know, did a good job somewhere and, and gave his value a bit of a bounce back, which is what he did at Celtic, obviously. And look, he did a, a fine job at Leicester, but we'll look at it in years to come and think, wow, Leicester got fifth twice. That's really impressive. And they won an FA Cup. But when you stare down into those seasons and you see what else was going on in the league, you know, you look at a bad Spurs, a bad Arsenal, Manchester United in absolute chaos, Chelsea in chaos until Tuchel took over, Liverpool with all the injuries they had last season. And then you look at the talent in that Leicester squad, you do sort of think they really should have gotten top four. Mm -hmm. At least one they of really the two. At least one of those years. Especially when you consider that they spent, I think it was 68 weeks in the top four across those two seasons. And that coming out of the lockdown after football stopped when the pandemic began, they had a 98% chance of finishing in the top four and like a 96% chance of finishing third or higher. Mm -hmm. So there's no excuse for that season. And the last season, again, I mean, look, Liverpool had no centre-backs. None. They played Reese James, sorry, Reese Williams, who was with Kidderminster Harriers in the conference the year before, and Nat Phillips, who they couldn't give away the previous summer. Nobody would give money for him the previous summer, not even championship clubs. So he was, you know, a, a League One caliber player, maybe, or, or a low-end championship loan type of guy. And Liverpool threw the two of them in and still got top four, finished third. Like, there's no excuse for what, what happened at, at Leicester last year. Even mm. when you consider when Tuchel took over, Chelsea were ninth. Ninth and still got top four. Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. And, and the way it happened, obviously, I know what happened in that Tottenham-Leicester match with Bale's brace to earn us a European Conference League spot, which we then got kicked out of because we had too many COVID cases. Uh, yeah, a very, very disappointing way for Leicester to lose out on that last year. And, you know, I, I think we both thought they had a terrific summer window bringing in Daka yeah. and Sumare. Um, but, you know, the, we shouldn't have expected them to be ready quite yet. Daka is starting to turn it on, though. Um, so, yeah, the future might still be fine. It might not be with Brendan, and that might be why it's fine. Oh, yeah. But... Whoever takes over there is is walking into one of the best situations in the league. Great ownership, stable organization, great squad. Even if one or two, like Ndidi or Tielemans, decide to move on, you've got mm -hmm. Samari, you've got loads of talent, you'll have money to spend. Remember as well, that's a club who operate way beyond their means. Their yes, wage bill totally. is like 120% of their turnover. So they are more than willing to back a manager. How much longer are they going to back 10th place, though? Yeah, probably not too long. Uh, we'll leave things there for now. So, Dave, if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you, now would be a good time. Yeah, so uh, Two-Footed Podcast every day at 4 p.m. Uh, if you search EPL Index Podcast as opposed to EPL Index Roundtable on your uh, podcasting devices, you'll find me there. You'll find me on Anfield Index, the Daily Red every day at lunchtime a 15, 20-minute pod just talking about the latest Liverpool news, Anfield Index and Anfield Index Pro, five, six different things a week there. And, uh, yeah, that's me. 
Yeah, and so obviously for those that have been listening, we went Arsenal to Leicester, so we'll wrap up with Liverpool to Wolves in part two. Uh, that should be coming out later this week. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Uh, as Dave said, you can search EPL Roundtable, and that'll bring us up. If you search EPL Index Pod, that'll usually bring him up. Uh, so, you know, go do that. Thanks for listening to this, and uh, you'll hear a bit more from us later in the week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.